I undertook the hysterectomy, seeing as then it seemed to be no other choice. When I woke up, first of all, he said, by the way, I fixed your prolapse. Now, I didn't have a diagnosis of prolapse. Crazy to consider that they can just do that to you without your consent. My husband was waiting outside. He was not even consented either. An insane amount of pain. I couldn't hardly walk afterwards. Put four different types of this mesh. I can feel like it's something It's anchored to my spine. It's anchored to around my colon. It's anchored to the top of the vaginal ports. It's anchored around my bladder neck. It's along my pelvic floor. I mean, all of those areas are feeling like they're being sliced to bits. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the US, killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. When Candia McCulloch went in for routine hysterectomy surgery for her heavy periods, she was expecting the surgery to give her a better quality of life. What she was not expecting, and did not consent, was to have a medical device implanted into her abdomen and have it attached to her spine, bladder, and colon. When Candia woke from the surgery, the surgeon proudly told her he had implanted a plastic mesh in her abdomen to support her internal organs. While the surgeon boasted about his surgical expertise, Candia was shocked he had done the implant surgery without her consent and physically immersed in pain as the plastic mesh dug into and perforated her internal organs. As the plastic mesh gets warmed by the body, it degrades and releases toxic chemicals into Candia's system. The plastic mesh also twists and pokes holes in Candia's internal organs, causing incredible constant pain, like 9 out of 10 on the pain scale, and often made worse by movement. But instead of getting medical care and support for the damage done by the illegal mesh implanted without her consent, Candia was gaslighted by the medical system as they denied the plastic mesh could be causing her myriad symptoms and told Candia her physical pain and symptoms were psychosomatic. In doing this, the health care system essentially deepened Candia's trauma. In this interview with Candia and her husband Ian, they recount the far-reaching impact the plastic mesh implant has had on their lives, their marriage, 
and their mental health. You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. Do you need the support of an experienced counselor for dealing with medical error or living with complex chronic illnesses? You can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here's my interview with Candia and Ian, and a word of warning as always, that some folks may be triggered by Candia's experience with the healthcare system. Great, thanks so much. So uh, tell me, where did you folks grow up respectively, and what were your childhoods like? Okay, so I grew up in Brighton. I had a very fun childhood, really. I lived by the sea. Uh, there was no such thing as bad weather, just bad choice of clothes, <laughs> that sort of thing. So yeah, I went to school, loved school, moved to Africa in my teenage years. I know, so exciting. And um, yeah, every day is a beach day. So yeah, happy day, happy childhood, fondly remembered. Bar nightclub restaurant. Bar nightclub and restaurant like, I grew uh, up in. So I had a lot of entertainment, <laughs> a lot of experience. Uh, so tell me a wee bit about that divergent to Africa. Oh, my parents were a bar nightclub and restaurant. They were the coolest parents in the world <laughs> as a teenager. That was in the Gambia. That was in the Gambia we went to, yeah, the Gambia, West Africa. Oh, wow. Okay. And you, Ian, what was your childhood? Totally opposite to Candias, born, bred, lived in rugby in Warwickshire in the Midlands. And that's about it, really. Mm, okay. So today we're going to talk about how your lives intersected with the medical system. So take us through that, that uh, experience. Um, well, I, I had difficulties with heavy periods. There was nothing un more than that. Um, and then I was referred for various different procedures before, well, part of, big part of it was that I was told that I needed a hysterectomy to take my womb away and, and that would relieve um, that issue of having heavy periods, which seems now very extreme because, you know, to have a body part removed for something like that, in, that, in, in its entirety, it is now understood as a mutilation. Um, but yeah, that's what happened. So I ended up going, and I was living in France at the time, and that was their understanding that they found this, they said a disease, um, adenomyosis, and that by taking the womb away, it will get rid of that disease. So of course you're like, a disease? I've got to get rid of it. <laughs> Um, obviously I'd have done th a lot of things very differently now, but obviously at the time there was no access to anything on the NHS website. And obviously living in France, it was important that I had information in English because my French is not that good to understand medical, um, French, never mind the medical, just the French language is quite tough to learn anyway. So I wasn't at the advanced level where I could even understand the medical terminology. Yeah, it was important that I use the NHS website and on the NHS website, which is our National Health Service here, 
Um, there was no information about what life was going to be like if we went along with this route. So there was no alternatives offered. There was no physiotherapy. There was no lifestyle changes offered or any of those things, which which is pretty shocking, actually, if you're going to alter somebody's life like that and you don't tell them all the facts that they need to know. If I understand correctly, it was endometriosis was the diagnosis and the, the no, wasn't No, adenomyosis. Oh. So it's a bit like endometriosis, but it's on the inside of the womb. So the, the form doesn't go into your abdomen. It stays very contained within the uterus walls. Oh, say that word again. Ad, um, adenomyosis. Okay, that's the first I've heard of that. Okay, and so the NHS was also advising having the surgery? They were just basically said the different types of hysterectomy. They never said that you might not need it. They never said you might have a lifestyle change. They never said physiotherapy, nothing, nothing to make life easier. So yeah. there just seemed to be like this one. Yeah, you option. didn't consult with the NHS over here. It was no. just look on their website for additional information, that's all. Mm, okay. Patients do, they go looking for information, you know, you're being told you need a surgery, you you're very, well, I'm very like a bit of a pragmatist, I like to go and look at what's what, and there was just no information out there at all. Okay, and so what did you do? Um, so I undertook the hysterectomy, since then it seemed to be no other choice, and when I woke up, um, it was a very different story. Um, first of all, he said, by the way, I fixed your prolapse. Now, I didn't have a diagnosis of prolapse, so I already knew that he'd done an additional surgery. Now, I find that crazy to consider that they can just do that to you without your consent. <laughs> My husband was waiting outside. He was not even consented either. So, you know, you've got two people who did not consent to this additional surgery. But the guy looked very pleased with himself. He was like, it was like bravado, you know, oh, by the way, I fixed your prolapse. He looked genuinely very pleased with himself. Um, only I wasn't so pleased because I was having straight away a lot of issues with pain, an insane amount of pain, and um, I couldn't hardly walk afterwards. Wow. So folks who aren't familiar, what is prolapse and what procedure did the surgeon do? All the information is not exactly very clear to me exactly why, because obviously there's other things, other process that's going on right now. Um, but I can tell you about prolapses. So um, usually for in our world with what we know now, bearing in mind we're lay people, we're not medical people. Um, we know that prolapses can happen for, for several things. Um, you can have several different types of prolapse. And I'll talk you through those. First of all is a bladder prolapse. So you can have a bladder where the bladder sort of collapses into the vaginal area. Okay, so you'll see a bulge from the vaginal aspect. You can have one where it's, um, the vagina has come down, so it's not attached anymore, it's sort of collapsed down, and sometimes it's protruding out of some patients. Um, and then there's the other one where the bowel collapses into the vaginal wall. So you've got those three, three dynamics there. In my case, I didn't have any of those issues. I didn't have any prolapse. I didn't have pain or any difficulties in that way. So you could, it's quite surprising that I ended up with a, a prolapse surgery. What I did wake up with is the two um, scars on the front of the pubic bone. 
So I knew then that he, I could see from the scarring that he'd fixed a bladder. But then having seen my surgical notes, it looks like they've put four different types of this mesh. I can feel like it's something It's anchored to my spine. It's anchored to, around my colon. It's anchored to the top of the vaginal vault. It's anchored around my bladder neck. It's along my pelvic floor. I mean, all of those areas are feeling like they're being sliced to bits. That's the only way to describe it. Uh, so for folks who aren't familiar with mesh, what what is that? And why is it attached to all of your organs now? Well, the horror part of it is it's an illegal medical device. It should never have been used as an organ holder. So if you can imagine something so sharp as polypropylene, so you've got plastic. As it does get warmed, obviously we're not cold, we're warm. Um, heat changes the plastic form and it's like a netting kind of thing, which sounds very nice and gentle, but actually it's, you know, the old thick parcel tape that goes around heavy cardboard boxes. It's that sharp. That's how it feels. Um, and they used it as an organ holder to hold the bladder neck up or the bladder or the vaginal wall and an anchor it or holding the bowel back, the bowel loops, if you like, the digestive system. And this is why so many patients like me have, have terrible issues with health because of obviously the plastic affects our health. I've had terrible reactions from the start. Um, there's so many issues to that. Obviously allergies to plastic, synthetics, a lot of people do have those allergies. So take us chronologically. So you come out of the surgery, you find out you've had this other procedure, you're immediately in pain. And then what happens in the ensuing weeks and months? And when was this? So the, my surgery was in 2008. Um, well, I've, I've had a whole, whole myriad of health issues ever since. I mean, this is in the April 2008. Um, I had issues with not being able to pass urine. I had difficulties with having sex. I had difficulties passing feces. I had uh, mobility issues, neurological issues, respiratory, skin issues. You needed spine surgery. I needed well. spine you surgery within, yeah. within two years, let's say. I needed spine surgery, like my spine was distorted. Um, obviously they've made it too tight or something's happened. So you don't realize that when you've had a surgery that's supposed to get you back on the feet that you're gonna end up with all these. And then there's been other issues as well. I've needed wheelchairs, carers. Um, our marriage broke down and we're not quite fortunate, but we're still strong. <laughs> we've come back through all of that, but um, it's been tough on the whole entire family. I mean, my children have become young carers. I was registered as a vulnerable adult by um, the state. So, you know, to be that disabled by something that's supposed to help you doesn't make sense, does it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, this whole myriad of symptoms and different bodily systems impacted and the amount of pain that you've had to go through. So when you realized what had happened and you go back to the healthcare system and say, you know, <laughs> what, what, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? What's been their response? Oh, they said it was in my head. Oh, all of your symptoms were totally psychosomatic. 
Yeah, and the thing is, they don't have that argument with me anymore because... But you're not the only one they've said that to either. Yeah, I'm not the only one they've yeah. said it to. This is like, because obviously we've set up a group and we've got about four, about four and a half thousand followers. And yeah, pretty much everybody's been told the same thing. I mean, and no, nobody's picking it up and stopping this from happening. That's, that's pretty much the case. And of course, with with a patient like that, me that did not know I was having this additional surgery done to me, and bearing in mind I had no no knowledge about mesh at all. Mesh was not a word my surgeon had ever used. Neither any of the doctors in the whole in pursuing years, ensuing years. Sorry, it's just crazy that I have all this now medical information, and you think, well, okay, now we've worked out what it is. They'd actually pick it up and say oh my gosh, that's terrible, you know, it will help you. Um, I'm still not seeing that this far on. I mean, I've had, I literally had time to set up a group for the last three years, set up a mesh charity, you know, it's called Mesh UK Charitable Trust. And all we do is respite breaks and, and help people live life better with mesh, but that's all we can do. You know, we're not surgeons and even the surgeons, you won't believe this, they can't remove it in, in its entirety. It's a permanent medical device which seems crazy to do a surgery on somebody where it's a failing illegal product, like it's an, an organ holder. It's not even meant to be an organ holder. And they're causing this much harm to people. And um, part of the evidence we actually gave was, I think that my medical care bill would have been about a quarter of a million pounds just for um, going to the consultants here in England when I came back, because came back from France I, I just wasn't getting anywhere I was really struggling to be understood I needed my mum and um, I think with all the consultants appointments the various MRIs that I had the scans and um, state help for carers and medicines. I don't even think that figure included all the medicine copious amounts of medicines that I was on I think I had 80 different types of medications over the last 10-12 years um, took them all none of them helped so there seems to be one that you can't get this wretched stuff out of your body like if it breaks down or it, it causes damage or harm or things like that yeah it's just it's unbelievable um so that's what led me on to well i've got to do something to help other people like me because if i don't help other people in my situation it's a very lonely place and obviously now i've got all that medical information i now i'm like the it's like empirical data because you've got a patient now who's didn't even know what was done to her and yet they've got all this evidence that it's caused all this harm she's needed all this care all this medication all these benefits if you like and support from the state and yeah, it's, it's a crazy amount. And I'm just one patient. Imagine that's happening to how much it's costing the state. And that's, I know this is England, but, you know, there's many other countries. And I know Australia was badly hit as well for mesh issues. And you actually have a mesh injured Australia charity as well to help those psychologically deal with the harm that's happened. So. Wow. So your operation was in 2008. How long prior to that were they doing these mesh surgeries and are they still doing them in the UK? They're still doing them. <laughs> They're still doing them. They found a way so far um, to say it's for research um, and that perpetuates the harm in my view. 
Uh, I do not mind standing on notice as, as saying that. And there's a pause at the moment. There is. There's there supposed the to be a pause, but I've got friends that have been offered it. So what does that pause mean? Um, we've had a review recently with Baroness Julia Cumberledge, uh, Sir Cyril Chandler, Simon Whale, and various other members of the team, the IM Independent Medical Devices Safety Review Team. And um, they came out with a list of recommendations. We've already had one of those met um, by an apology of our Secretary of State, Matt Hancock, um, which is good. He gave a, um, a full apology to us. And there's several other recommendations which I can go into if you'd like. Uh, so words are great. Uh, what actions have they taken? We've had an apology. <laughs> it doesn't help, but um, I think it, it does in a way because it then means that our what we've gone through is validated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, it's now known it's, it can't be swept under the carpet any longer. And will it make any difference to patients going forward? I'd like to think so. But if people are just being offered that and not all the other the opportunities to sort of um, explore first, then I fail to see that this has achieved anything really. But, you know, we've got to give it a chance. We have to see that. But again, it's like they've, been, they've said that data is needed. You've got data, you've got empirical evidence, you've got everything you need. And realistically, there should be a ban. It shouldn't be used ever again. I can't imagine, and I said this in my evidence to the review, even if you've got cancer, okay, I don't think that an, an illegal medical device organ holder is going to help you. Yeah, it can't. You have to do other things. You have to take steps yourself. You have to nourish yourself. You have to fight it naturally because the harm that can happen from a permanent medical device is not worth, it's not worth the risk. And we're currently trying to get this stuff banned um, in England, we, you know, they can have all the data they like from historic, whom, how many people have been hurt. But I don't think it's a reason to continue perpetuating harm and making people disabled for the rest of the years to come. It's, it's not worth it. And there are various different types of meshes. There's the um, one that's made of pork, and there's another one that's made of beef. And, you know, it sounds like you're having a nice roast dinner. But actually, you know, people who've got those meshes are also struggling. So you can see they're not meant to be used as an organ holder at all. Well, so some of them are, the one you have is synthetic. It's, uh, yeah. it's not made out of pork or beef. No. Which no. sounds more natural, but like you say, those folks are also having problems. Yeah. So uh, you testified at uh, some sort of hearing. Tell me a bit about that. By the Independent Medicines and Medical Device Safety Review Team, they were commissioned by um, Jeremy Hunt, um, who was our health minister at the time, and they commissioned this review into what's happened and how they can avoid avoidable harm going forward. Um, and there was several groups, not just us, that gave our evidence on behalf of our members and obviously a testimony as to what happened personally, but also Joanne, our medical devices expert, who's also testified on our evidence to say that these should be used, they should be withdrawn from the market. And um, so, yeah, there was, I think there was about six, six groups in total that gave evidence. And then there, 
they went up and down the country, including Northern Ireland. Um, they went to Scotland and Wales um, to meet many victims in, in our, you know, in the UK. Um, and people who managed to make that journey, it was a very, um, it was cathartic, but also soul destroying because you're reliving the trauma, not only you going through the trauma, but you're actually revisiting the, the harrowing journey made worse by the medical profession actually because we have been poorly you know badly treated not poorly treated it's like abysmally treated and been gaslighted and I know people use the word gaslighted it's basically where people make you feel like you're going crazy but actually you're not you're having a real terrible time with this and that's what makes the whole scenario so gut-wrenchingly awful you know you did not give your consent for uh, surgery. So the trauma of having this undesired surgery, the trauma of having the medical system deny your physical symptoms and tell you it's in your head. Then there's also another layer of trauma of finding out that the whole medical system is not really in your corner, but working against you. That's how we feel. We feel like it's, it's all very well and good that you, you've had all this review. And there's not anything you actually can do for us. Like that's that's another reality. Like this is in you. You know, they can't remove it. And if they do remove it, that's another terrible disaster, because they're only so. Once, if you can imagine something sharp around your bladder, and they snip two pieces of hardened plastic because it's obviously changed form. You've now got four sharp edges. And, and they're perforating other organs as you're walking or as you sit or as you stand or you're in, I'm not kidding you, the pain, you can, you will cry in your sleep. This is, a, this is what my surgeon told me. She said, Candy, you are crying in your sleep. They can see how much pain I'm in. I'm sobbing. And then there's other times where I'm trying to sit up and I'm actually witnessing my own suicide. No, I didn't commit suicide. Um, I, but it was a reaction to the straightaway pain, like it's the same time, you know, and so therefore these, you know, these doctors, if they listen to what we're saying, they, they still don't believe you. Like, I, I just, I don't know how it, I think it is because, partly because they've put it in you, they see you six weeks after, if you're still struggling, they'll say, well, um, you know, some people take a little bit longer to heal. Um, I don't know what, I can't remember what year I think they stopped saying that to me. I think it might have been about the fifth year. But some people still, you know, take longer to heal. No, I've still not healed. <laughs> I've still not healed. And, you know, I, 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 I laugh mockingly really at the medical profession because it shouldn't, it shouldn't have happened. <laughs> and there was no one stopping it. Like, it's not even just the medical world. It's the whole... MHRA and I understand in Australia it's like the TGA or the FDA in America you know there's no one stopping these products coming onto the market so it's a whole myriad of disasters and of course if you pay somebody commission to implant mesh because that was another thing you know like our doctors we didn't know who was earning what so we don't really know who we're going to see and if they've got an vested interest in it or whether they've actually manufactured it we, we just as patients we don't know enough about what they're doing to patients. And that was the thing. Wow, that's frightening. So here we've got this uh, uh, corporation, for-profit corporation, creating, manufacturing this mesh. 
asking, pressuring, maybe even paying physicians, surgeons to, you know, start using it to essentially make you a guinea pig and other patients like you um, so that they can make money and we'll see how their health turns out. We don't really care. Mm. Well, I actually saw my surgeon's professor and he was equally as believing that his, his surgery and his, I guess his protege surgeon was brilliant. You know, everything's brilliant, isn't it? Thing is, when you can't walk and you're having all these issues and, and it's following their surgery and, and they've got this cognitive dissonance going on where it's like they just don't accept what you're saying and you're just the patient, you really are the guinea pig and it worries me so much because of course we know they're using it in animal surgery as well. And of course animals can't speak, we can. How are our dogs, our cats, etc. How how is the whole thing acceptable, you know? Wow, yeah, I didn't know about the animals for, uh, wow, that's frightening as well. Uh, so, Ian, you probably didn't sign on when you got married, like anyone who, when they get married, don't sign on to be a caregiver or anticipate that your partner's going to get very sick because of medical error, if we want to use error. How has this impacted you and your relationship? Well, the thing is, you always trust your doctor, you trust what they say, you do trust they're looking after your best interests, or in this case, Candy's best interests. And it's quite surprising when you do look into it more that they could have their own vested interests. So it's been very difficult, because obviously I have been to probably virtually all of Candy's appointments, and you are listening to what they're saying, and you're hoping she's gonna get better, because you want your life back to how it used to be before surgery. And it is getting to the point where we know it's never gonna be how it used to be, and we've got to try and make the best of it and care on the best we can. And it's one of the things I keep trying to encourage Candice to try and move on the best we can together because that's what we signed up for, didn't we? <laughs> well, in sickness and in health, that's the thing. We just hope that surgery is going to give me health. <laughs> but it's very difficult because I did a job that I loved and to have to try and give that up to look after Candy, it was very difficult for me to actually give up my job. I wasn't a workaholic, but when you actually have a job, you enjoy doing, it's not a chore to get up in the mornings and go and do it. So that was very difficult giving that up. Thankfully, I now I can do a little bit occasionally from home on the side. For my own mental health, I think it helps not to be 100% a carer. I do get maybe 1% a week where I can actually go off and do a little bit of work in another room while I know she's safe and can do all the stuff. What kind of work do you do? Well, it's IT, it's consultancy, and it's a specific piece of software so people can get in touch saying it's not doing what we expect it to do so I can log on to their system and have a mooch around and try and point them in the right direction. So at least it is something I can do from home now. Well, previously I'll be going on to site at customers, staying away overnight for two or three nights as well, and all of that, and leaving candy on their own. But obviously that's nowhere near possible anymore. Right, yeah, you aren't safe when you're gone for days at a time. 
Wow, and I guess with uh, this, because of the pandemic and this movement for more people to work at home, it that's sort of a good thing for you. It is actually, because I've actually got more work during the pandemic than before the pandemic. <laughs> so how is your health now compared to previous years? Oh, I know I'm not in a good way. I just know I'm not in a good way. But as much as I'll have to live, learn to live, I'm still, every day is like I have to learn to live in this pain. Like I'm always constantly being reminded, remember, I'm in pain every day, something is cutting me every day. So you have to remember every day that you've got to just get through. That's quite tough to do. I know that... How do you manage that, both psychologically and how do you manage the physical pain? I think I've got a very good disposition for life anyway. And I'm a mum. I've, I've still got a daughter at home. I've got two other children at, at home. So, and I think the fact that he's around distracts me a lot. There's a lot of distraction that can happen. Will it ever take away the pain? No. Will I ever forget the pain? No. But of course, being slightly distracted helps. That's for sure. You know, because without that, I, I don't think I'd be here, to be honest, because the pain's been too, too bad. So I'm grateful that I've got the family support I've got. I think the personality that I've got also really helps because I've obviously been a very happy person, a lot of reasons to be happy. Um, and there's still an awful lot of things that I'd like to do. So it's a, it is about having goals. Obviously I can't have the normal goals that everyone else has got, but if I get through today and go to sleep and sleep all night without too much pain, that that's about as good as it gets. It's about accepting to a large degree. There's a lot of me doesn't want to accept things. Um, so every day it's a battle. You see, it's like a, you've got to weigh it up. I wouldn't be here if I didn't make the lifestyle changes I've made, that's for sure. Um, I found a way to live life better with food. So that's another positive thing that I've done. Um, I've read The China Study by T. Colin Campbell. Um, and on our, through our charity of help, helping people live life better, and the lifestyle changes, whole food, plant-based, no oil. So we literally get all the nutrients we need to help combat the pain. So it's about not pills, potions and lotions. You've got to understand it, nothing's ever going to remove that pain. But what it does is it reduces all the known aggravation. You know, like normally some foods would be an aggravant. So if you eat meat, it would sit there for a really long time. You'd feel that if you like bread. So we don't eat any of those things anymore. Obviously that aids then the pressure on the mesh. That's so part of the digestive and transit system. It removes that pressure build up and, and all the other stuff that you would have got with a normal, I say normal in speech marks um, lifestyle. So just going to plants helps combat a lot of the inflammation that we suffer, infections that we suffer, and therefore it, it helps reduce pain. I can't quantify the pain um, because obviously mostly I live at like nine, 10, level nine or 10 out of 10, which is very high. Um, it's, it's not ever hitting so often number 10, but I can go between an eight and a nine a bit more easier, but it doesn't mean I'm not ever gonna hit the 10 because obviously the mesh is cutting into organs and nerves and blood vessels and all sorts of things. So. I can, I don't think I hit really a seven. I think um, 
I'm arguing between sort of seven and eight, but I'm, I don't feel confident to say seven, if that makes sense. So it's still very high, but before it was always a nine or a 10. Um, and what was worse is I found out if I ate sugar, sugar seemed to feed the infections, therefore the inflammation went up, the pain went up. Um, and the world, world actually became quite dark. So where there is a sort of a better day, if you like, I'm not seeing the world so dark. I've seen what's going on in the medical world. I think it's abysmal and it's their issue. I can't work with them, you know, because they're not listening. They're not, they're not ready to accept what we're saying or how bad this is. So for now, from the mental health perspective, um, I'm a far cry from what I was a year ago. Uh, there's no way without that lifestyle change, I, you know, I wouldn't be here. And I, again, it takes a lot of support and help to do it, you know, because I can't prepare it all, all the time. I don't have the physical or the strength. I've got a lot of muscular issues and pain issues that way, because it is a systemic issue. It's, it's caused, it's ruined our whole lives. You know, and we, and we lost some weight, didn't we? And we've lost some weight too, which is great. You know, I mean, yeah, we've both lost about a couple of stone each or thereabouts. And um, of course, with the coronavirus and people losing weight, it's not a, a, a diet as such as a lifestyle change. Um, I mean, he got, he, on his BMI, he got told he was the healthiest for his um, age and, and everything else, which is great news. You know, he's one of, one of the 25% that is fit and well at this age, whereas what's happening to the other 75%, right? Well, and the way you describe the importance of diet to decreasing, well, increasing your quality of life, and because of the way your body has been damaged, you're extra sensitive to those diet changes. So it really makes me wonder, wow, you know, for healthy people who may not feel immediately that change because of eating a healthy diet, just how much it would improve their quality of life too. He's the best person to talk to about that because I, I do ask him, does it help you? And he says he doesn't really notice the difference, but he does really, don't you? Because you remember like when you were going out to where you used to get tired in the afternoons? Oh yeah, stuff I think like that. So a lot of people notice certain things. Yeah, because like Candy said, normally you'd have some junk food at lunchtime, a sandwich or something like that. And in the afternoons you always like have a little sleep or want to have a sleep <laughs> in the afternoons but you always used to feel tired in the afternoons and you'd be in meetings you could feel your eyes going and things like that but since i've been on this lifestyle i certainly felt a lot more alert and alive in the afternoons the other thing is i hope you don't mind me mentioning it he's got he had he's always had really bad vein issues in his lower legs ever since we were dating, you know, varicose veins. And they look like they're reversing now. He's only been plant, whole food plant-based since August last year. So even if you're not ill, don't wait to be ill because people are having surgeries. I mean, the way I look at it, this is how I say to people is, look at the illnesses or potential illnesses that your parents may have had. And then look at what pills, potions and lotions are for those things, whether it's vaccines, everything, look into that, those links because actually what you've got is varicose veins, you might have surgery for it, blood thinners, all of these things. And it's wrong because obviously you're not eating the right foods and food is so, so important. So yeah, look at the illnesses and think, well, what are they eating to cause them 
so sugar diabetes for example cholesterol tablets for eating the meat and things like that so there's a lot of foods out there that actually cause you harm and it's only until you've had a heart attack or stroke that you realize that you probably should never have eaten meat in the first place well it's um it's a there's a big movement going on for the whole food plant-based thing and i'm just glad that we cottoned on as a charity because it's really important for us to get the right information out there to helping people yeah so if folks want to find out information or connect with you where can they find you online um, mesh uk charitable trust okay the main one would be the website. Yeah, the main one's the website. You can contact us through that, and that's um, www.meshuk.org. Okay, and I'll include those links uh, in the show notes to this episode. Great. Well, thanks for sharing your story, Anna. It's just absolutely horrific. No doubt some other folks who've had this surgery are maybe going to be making the connection between what they're experiencing and, and your experience. So I'm sure that'll be very helpful and hopefully people will be able to track you down online to get the support and just that community and, and the validation that comes with that. So thanks to both of you for sharing your experiences. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. Well, thanks to Candia and Ian for sharing their experience of living with the results of an illegal medical device implanted without consent that causes constant pain and suffering. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. You can support the podcast by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. Do you need the support of an experienced counselor for dealing with medical error or living with complex chronic illnesses? You can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com.